G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich to celebrate the 150th anniversary of BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more passenger or SUV tyres. Good morning, Patrick. On the phone again while you're in uh, the sunny Gold Coast. How are you? Good morning, Redmond. Yeah, it's going incredibly well at the moment. Excited, actually, because during the week there was a blue whale that was spotted off Marubra, only the second sighting of the species of Sydney, obviously the world's largest animal. Quite extraordinary to see off the Sydney waters and it was captured by drone footage, so very special to see, Redmond. I wasn't sure when you were going with when you said captured then. <laughs> I had to say fill the drone part in quickly because uh, uh, I've always wanted to see a blue whale in the water and I have been fortunate enough to see killer whales, which are my favourite species, but... Patrick, those blue whales, if you saw one of them in real life, like to see the comparison to a boat, like they're bloody big, aren't they? Oh, extraordinary. The fact that, that their heart is the same size as a, as a VW um, buggy, just just amazing. So it'd be great to see them. Fantastic that they're starting to see them off there. Well, they're always been off the, um, the East Coast of Australia, but starting to see them and film them. And a bit more fishing news for you, Redmond. Shimano have updated their uh, tackle bags. Yeah, right. So, we're obviously very familiar with the uh, the extensive extensive range that Shimano has, but they've updated um, all their all their storage systems, which is great to see. So all their soft shell type storage systems, obviously their um, their plastic tackle drawers and tackle um, bags are pretty much the same, uh, but all their soft shell um, gear has been totally redesigned. Um, so uh, check out your local sort of Shimano distributor, whether it's Anaconda, BCF, all your all your um, your local tackle stores will have them, and we'll start to see those in the in the coming weeks and coming months, which is good to see from you know the main um, tackle distributor in Australia. Speaking of a tackle box or a tackle bag, uh, I get this a lot. This question, and the question is basically, like, what do you have in your tackle box? Like, what do you take out on an everyday fishing trip? What what do I'll go through what I have, but you, I know you live down Mogs, and obviously you fish to what is in front of you. So, what do you have in your tackle bags? So you're heading out of Mogs in the little stable. You're heading out. What do you What do you put in your bag before I get into it? Well, mine's a little bit different to yours because I know when you go out, you're fixated on. All right, I'm going to chase um, whiting and I'm going to chase gummy sharks. Yep. Where we are off the surf coast, um, it's. I don't always prepare as well as what you do in terms of, all right, this is the tide, this is the species of fish that I'm going to chase, and and that's my, my aim. We'll sort of go out, and depending on the, the swell, sort of depends where we fish. Like, if it isn't too big, then we can go in a bit closer to shore and fish for whiting. Um, if the swell's up, then we've got to be a bit more offshore, so you're sort of looking at deeper water. So majority of the time, I take just about the licorice, licorice all sorts. <laughs> for basically everything so you know what I'm like with, with um, 22, with 22 rods on a on a 1550 stator craft <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's even I'm not actually joking there either <laughs> <laughs> 
and the same with um, with tackle boxes with that four hundred tackle boxes versus you. You're far more organised. Yeah, well, you're a little bit different as well with the, your your time restraint too. Like you go out, to, I drive an hour and a half to get the an hour to get the patch place, and I get there, go out for a fish, and then twenty minutes later he goes, "Oh, I forgot to tell you, I got an AFL meeting in twenty minutes." So you're, you're, <laughs> <laughs> that that's happened once before, but we. Um, yeah, like you said, twice, you're, twice. <laughs> you're a little bit on the time side of things. So you fish when you can. So you like to go out there and something pops up, you'll salmon pop up, you'll chase them. Or if you're not catching anything, you're happy to go drop your plastics on and catch a few rasp pinkies and just have a bit of fun. Where for me, it's about being a bit more organized and targeting specific fish. So in my box, I have basically everything that I catch in this waterway. And that starts from a shark trace for a Mako. That's always have one shark trace in the top of the box. If I'm heading out for sharks, a little bit different, but I always have one in the boat. Doesn't matter if I'm in the bay or in, inside um, or offshore, I definitely like to have a, a shark trace. Balloon as well. Top of the box always has balloons in it because once again, feeding live baits out. And then I've got my hook trays, which is basically starting... Well, I reckon my hook tray would be worth probably about five grand, so no one's still my tackle box. <laughs> I've got every hook you could possibly start from basically one O's through to ten O's through to size one to size a nine in every sort of a brand. But the reason for that is I um I fish different side of type of things and I take my box on everyone's boats. And at the moment I am boatless with a little bit of boat news coming up in a minute, Pat, but <laughs> a little teaser, but I have all the hooks. I have swivels. Another thing I like to have is salmon skirts. So those white ockies with the tinsels pat with the O'Shaughnessy hooks. I have them not, not, I have them in the tackle box, but I always have them pre-rigged. I have three of them always pre-rigged. So they're just on a little noodle wrapped around in the top of the tackle box also. And I have I have a range of leader from eight pound through to, um, from eight pound right through to a hundred pound. That's what I have in the box. And there's just a few bits and pieces as well. So laser lure, you can't beat a laser lure in there. I've got micro jigs. So anything that I can catch in that waterway. So what I'm trying to stress to you guys is if you live in Queensland and you're listening right now, Whatever's the potential to catch, so a Mulloway or um, a Nanagai, whatever you potential to catch, I'd have at least one of them in your tackle box. You agree, Pat? If you live in an area, head out with what you... You may as well be ready if something comes up. Oh, no doubt. No, I, I have a particular proclivity to fish with about 15 rods, as you said. <laughs> uh, probably could slightly reduce that, but I like having the option of just being able to go, oh, like you said, sort of something on top water pull it out from the um, rocket launcher while you go. One little tip as well is just getting ready before you go out makes a massive difference too. So say, for example, I'm heading out, uh, which I am tomorrow, on offshore on the gummy gummy sharks. You got, I will have my four gummy rods rigged up ready to go when I, before I go out there. A lot of the time it's from other trips as well because I'm fishing for them. I've got my gummy shark rods, but I like to always check them, make sure the hook, if if you don't clean the, the hook end properly, that'll blunt pretty quick from the last trip. So I like to make sure I check that. And I also like to make sure um, that I've got the other options ready too. So when I'm going out there, I want to catch my parrot fish for bait. I've got my uh, light samurai reaction 15 pound there that's sitting next to me, ready to go to catch wrasse and always take crap bait out too. So basically just ready to catch any species that um, that I'm, that's going to be there on the day. I know when you chase tuna, you're really keen to basically re-spool the entire reel every time you go for them because you don't want to risk um, not catching or losing yeah, a, that a barrel. barrel. How yeah. often do you do that? 
how often do you do that with your other reels? And more particularly, how often do you replace um, your mono leaders? So the barrel, um, the barrel side of things, a barrel tuner, they um, they get a real change every single time and that's every single time I catch a fish uh, or if I see some damage on the lot like damage from a bird or something so if a bird hits the line and I don't know where it is I'll change nearly the whole spool or at least the first um, if you're if you're running back in at least that top in top hundred meters top shot on top of it so I like to if I catch it because you don't when you're fighting a barrel pat the dolphins deliberately try and smash your line off and you don't know where they've hit that line so that's why I do that with the braid side of things and I've spoken about this before and uh, it's a bit harder for me to give you an accurate um, reading on when to change braid with what I do because I fish so frequently that I actually go through a lot of braid on reels. So every time I change a rig, you say you cut off, in the end, you cut off five meters every time you go out, say. After you go out 10 trips, you've already lost like between 50, or 25 and 50 meters of line. So slowly my reels get lighter and lighter and lighter on. And you got to remember, I fill a whole Shimano, say 8,000 Saragossa with, and that holds about 300 meters of 50 pound braid or just under, I think about 280. So that there's 280 meters for me catching gummy sharks, whether it gets down to 150 meters, I know for a fact that I'm going to be okay landing a gummy but it's the thresher shark that comes along during summer that screams off and it could spool you very quickly. So I like to have my reels spool, uh, my reels full, but for use at home, braid lasts a long time. You'll get over a season out of them. Definitely get over a season. And your mono leaders, I'm changing mine every time, every time I fish. So I might get two, like say for example, I might have the rig ready from yesterday. If it looks okay, I'll use it again. But quite often, I'm fishing, I'll get snagged or crap it, uh, catch a draft board shark where I've got to cut the hook off. So there's plenty of different like reasons why I change my leaders. It's not so much I change it, like I don't have a big wind-on leader as such on my normal rods. It's more just my rigs to the braid as such, which I do change probably near on every trip because quite often you're losing, losing the rigs. Now, Dangerfield, I've got a question for you. That big boat of yours, when's my, I mean, my your boat, I mean, that 750, Where's it at? Because I'm I need a boat at the moment. Seven fifty is moving forward, so um, I've actually just ordered some uh, new refrigeration for it. So Dometic, I've got a CRX sixty five being built into the, the seat box underneath um, the passenger's seat. Yep. So wasn't sure whether to go with um, like a removable CFX or the cool boxes versus a built in. Um, CRX 65. In the end, I've gone with the built-in model. The, the, the thing that sort of had me chewing and throwing was just the weight of the 750. So I'm trying to keep it sort of well under three and a half tonnes to make it clearly legally trailable, but also just more comfortable to trailer. So that's been a big decision with um, the twin 200 D6 Mercury's that I'm using rather than going for the... Um, the biggest ones I can put on the back of it and then upping the weight. So same thing with um, with the fuel tank. I would have loved to have gone a slightly bigger fuel tank because what I've done is I've gone with a 350 once again to pull that weight down. So fully loaded, it probably sits at about 3.2, just under 3.3 tonnes. Um, so it gives me, you know, a couple of hundred kilos of leeway and that's with, that's with all gear on there. So that's that was sort of my main driving factor um, just trying to reduce weight, but still have all the things that I want installed on it. And obviously, when you have the the built-in um, 
CRX 65, you have to have a, a fiberglass seat box in order to build that into. So that's what Rob and the boys are doing at the moment and keeping the weight under and then um, sort of electronics will happen in the next couple of weeks and um, and the steering system, which is an Optimus 360 system we've seen um, so prevalent, the, uh, the joystick controls in, in basically every outboard um, manufacturer now offers some sort of um, joystick control. And what the Optimus C-Star system is, is a system that you can basically retrofit to any uh, existing Apple currently. So having that installed um, and top decks and everything at the moment, so Melbourne Rain will fit out all the electronics and all the motors. Um, the boat's just about done, which is really quite exciting. It is quite exciting. We're going to have to wrap up there. We're going to reveal a little bit of something after the break. But up next, The Social Club. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. And don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app. It has all of our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips, and recipes. We'll see you after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. And before we get into the social club, Patrick, you got some fishing news to uh, knock off the top here? I do, Redmond. Uh, Mercury have launched the Bravo 4S, which is a smart sports water stern drive. Now, this is their first foray into forward-facing, the forward-facing stern drive segment. Now, it's obviously been around for a while, uh, Volvo have been, um, you know, and have invested significantly into this, but it's the first time I've seen Mercury do it. Obviously, Mercury spent a huge amount on their uh, four strokes over the last sort of couple of years. Um, but this is a real game changer for those interested in wakeboarding. Um, at the heart of their their investment is the digital control system um, that automatically sets ballasts, um, surf, tabs, and propulsion settings. So it really changes the way that the boat sets up and the wake that it creates if you're interested in um, wakeboarding. So I think we're going to see a huge foray into this. Um, it's interesting that it is a forward-facing system. We're seeing it on small boats now, not just on 50-foot Rivieras. Um, it's supposed to be a lot more efficient in how um, in how they use fuel, more grip on the water with the forward-facing um, propulsion um, giving the system far more manoeuvrability than what you get from a, a rear-facing um, system. Um, I haven't been in one yet, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and one thing I'd be worried about with uh, with regarding the way the propellers are facing is obviously cavitation, but they've worked a way out regarding using different size propellers, uh, two of them at opposite angles, or starting on opposite sides, basically the way the propellers sit to actually take out that cavitation. So... That there is going to be a game changer for anyone in that in the I guess the wakeboard or kneeboard market. Yeah, the only other concern that I had immediately was because they are forward facing, and you're now implementing them on a smaller boat. Just the risks with running into things because with small boats you do run them off onto beaches, you run them in shallower water. It's not like you're dealing with the Riviera 50 where you're always giving yourself three metres of draft or a couple of metres of draft at least. Um, so you don't have the protection for the props, um, you know, with a gearbox like you do with a, a regularly set up um, outboard engine or a rear-facing um, stand drive. So 
that was my the one thing I look at and go, geez, you wouldn't want to hit anything quickly because then you just totally destroy your your props and there's no real protection there for it. Your thoughts? Yeah, you've yeah. I actually hadn't thought of that till you've said it, but you don't like you said the gearbox as well. You don't want to damage that too. So it's going to be working against you for sure. Um, if you do hit something, Pat, those props will. Yeah, I, I haven't actually thought about that. I'm actually pretty impressed with you there, to be honest with you, Pat. You've done pretty well there. A little grin. I'm not totally in it when it comes <laughs> to things. But it's just the first thing I think of. Like, I get the, the saving in fuel. Yep. Wonderful, the uh, the maneuverability that it gives you. But you've also got to live with it. And I don't know. Maybe it's my, my poor driving skills in shallow waters <laughs> where I run up, run up, on, run up on beaches like... <laughs> If you've got stainless steel props, they're not breaking. You're going to bend them, and all that's going to do is just your gear, your gearbox. Your, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I've and like Barwon River here is a prime example. Shallow water in the Barwon River here, where I live, the amount of gearboxes that I see get damaged through there for people not sticking to the channel. Stick to the channel, you're fine. But people go too quick, and with stainless steel props these days, there is no giving them. Like you said, not like the old aluminium that just bend; they just bang gearbox done and there's another few thousand dollars at the probably even more expensive but anyway let's wrap that bit up let's get into the social club and patrick the first questions for both of us it is from brian it says with father's day approaching as well as snapper season can you boys please give me a combo to get dad that isn't going to blow the budget p.s i love the show guys i would always stick to i'll go the real you go the rod sure um i'm buying a straight four thousand um putting 15 pound braid on it 20 if you want to go something a bit heavier for snapper but let's be honest a 15 15 pound braid will still break at 25 um it's i reckon heading into father's day you'll find um these will be discounted throughout shops everyone wants everyone's business at the moment so the competition for the sales is on i reckon you'll find it in sort of the mid 200 dollar mark yep for a reel that'll last you 10, 15 years. Yeah, and that's a good point you've made there. You just said the end part there last year, a long time, 15 years, which they will wear. Sometimes, Pat, buying that cheaper range of reels, those $100 reels or $60 reels, they you get two seasons out of them, not even, and they're, and they're buggered. They're drags, can snap a pull drag, and when they're a cheaper drag system, they can get um, ruined quite quickly. So by yeah. spending that little bit more money, not $5,000 on a reel or... Um, grand on a Stella like you do but you can spend just that few hundred dollars honestly spend that few hundred dollars on a nice reel and you're going to have the quality behind to back you over those years but the rod pat going into budget a rod that is probably at the minute the most affordable rod on the market and probably the best pri- uh, best value for price would have to be the Atomic Arrows range now they are a fantastic rod and um, a rod you can get in all of the range, starting from brim to whiting to snapper to gummies. And you can get a 15 to 25 pound Tomic Arrow. I reckon you're looking at around 100, 140 bucks, Pat. Like that's pretty cheap for a quality rod. So the Atomic Arrow is definitely the rod that I would be I would be um, going for for a snapper combo. Now, next question is from Jeremy, and I think he might need to check into the, uh, the podcast last week, Redmond. Hi, boys. I'm looking at purchasing uh, either a single 12-inch Garmin screen or twin 7-inch Raymarine screens. I'm not sure where it's going from brand to brand. Um, what would you prefer, twin or a single setup with a larger screen? Now, we spoke exactly about this last week, Redmond, on our show. We have different varying opinions on this. 
couple of we've had a couple of arguments over the past few months while we design our boats, Pat. But I would definitely be going. Would you go twin seven inches or one twelve inch frame? I'd go twin sevens for me for it to, over that twelve inch. If it was a sixteen, I'd probably go the sixteen. But I'd go definitely the twin sevens. What would you go? Uh, no, I'd just go bigger the better. Twelve <laughs> inch if you can fit it in. Like I've got a ten ten inch in my uh, Staby fifteen footer, and I, I just think it's. Perfect. It's wonderful. And you can split between the screens. Um, you know, you're not always using a GPS, so why would you have that on the seven inch anyway? Um, when you can have twelve inches of, of, of one screen, whether it's side scan, down scan, whatever it might be. Um, so that's what I'd I'd stick to. Uh, Brian, this one is for you, Redmond. With Father's Day that, that, you read, well. we, we did that one. We're done, Brian. You need to go to Barry at the top or Luke. you got two more to choose from. <laughs> Luke, I see you're on Instagram. <laughs> Come on, Patrick. I'm right on the show. You're on the second mic today. Sorry. I need to uh, stay in my lane. <laughs> go I'll for go, it. Barry. Red, you often refer to just pinning a bait when baking up for a lot of different species. Can you explain what pinning a bait means, please? I sure can. And that's a, uh, it's a, it's actually a good question because there's so many different ways people bait up and a lot of the ways are the wrong ways. Now, when you are pinning a bait part, quite often, for me, for example, you're fishing in tidal waters. And it's not just tidal waters as well. It's in any waters because when you bring your, your line up, you're still creating movement on your bait, which will then cause your bait to spin. So what we're trying to avoid by pinning them at one end is avoid the spin in your bait. So for example, a whiting, we cut beautiful, nice strips up, say an inch and a half long and probably only just over half a centimetre to a centimetre wide. And we pin that as close as we physically can to the tip of the tip of the squid strip so it does not spin when fishing for whiting in the tide. Now, if you're fishing for a gummy offshore or a snapper offshore and you have a nice calamari ring, they might be, say, eight centimetres tall and when you hold it up nice and tight, it's probably two and a half, three centimetres wide. You're pinning that just up the top of your uh, of, of your calamari ring. So that for when you cast it out, it doesn't spin when you're retrieving it back in 30 metres. So it's about avoiding the tangles and with the spinning baits, but also it, you're going to catch more fish by not having the the hook actually hidden. So that's how we're going to bait up nearly all the time for any species of fish. And people will go, oh, the fish just pull it off. If it's your target species, you should be using the right size bait size for that fish to come up and be able to mouth that bait properly. If it's a rubbish fish, they're going to be the ones that pull your bait off. They're the ones that are biting into your squid strips for whiting. You'll see teeth marks. They are not whiting. It's a, the whiting will tend to eat the whole strip or they'll pinch it off the end of your hook. 80% of the time you'll hook them. So a fish will always attack from the head first. And what I mean by that is they hit the, the pinning by pinning that hook at the top of the squid strip. It actually acts as that's where the head of, they can't see the hook. That's sitting in the tide. Technically the fish always sits with the head in the tide. And that's why the whiting will come up and eat the top of that squid strip where the hook is and slurp it up nicely. So that there is why we, uh, why we do, uh, why we pin our baits like that. Patrick? Well, that wraps, up our social club, Redmond. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it to our Real Adventures Facebook or Instagram page, or better yet, 
download our Real Adventures app, which is available, which is available now. Redmond. It is on all of your smartphones. You can find this app. Plenty of recipes, Pat. Plenty of how-tos and also places to fish around the country. Like you said, dream boating destination. Patrick, we are heading to Yumba, which is on the lovely New South Wales coast. Do you want to tell us a little bit more where it is? Well, you're still saying Yumba. I'm saying Yamba. Um, like you said, it is in northern New South Wales. It's about 600 k's uh, out of Sydney, so you definitely, you know, it's preference to fly there if you're going to travel there on a um, on a holiday throughout the school holidays. You can't drive there. Growing up, we used to drive to to Broken Head uh, every September school holiday, sort of a t- uh, 20 hour sort of straight drive. So Yamba sort of sits at at probably 18 hours in the car driving time, Redmond, but maybe a little bit more if you're going to tow the boat. Uh, but when it comes to to tourism and fishing, one of the reasons that I love Yamba, having stayed there a few times, it's basically a quieter version of Broken Head Byron Bay. It's less commercialised. Um, in 2016, there was uh, the census said there was around 6,000 people there. So comparing that to, to Byron Bay, that sort of the cosmopolitan feel and place that it's become, it's far less busy. Yes, it will be busy sort of in the school holiday period, but when it comes to um, fishing, it's really well set up. You don't deal you, – you've certainly got better um, launching facilities than, say, I believe, um, Ballina and the, um, the mouth that you come out of there. I think it's really well suited to, to fishing, especially estuary fishing, but also you can go offshore and, and chase mile the right time of the year. Yeah, some of the species, like you said, Pat, the Clarence River is a fantastic place to fish. You're going to catch some seriously big flathead in there. You've got the dewfish, which is obviously your mulloway in the Clarence River also, and a little bit offshore too. You've got the rock blackfish, which is great species to catch with the kids as well as brim, and you're going to find them pretty much all along the rock walls or the sea walls, right around um, all the rivers that run through. Um, I'll go with your... What was it? Yamba or Yamba? I'll go with Yamba. I won't annoy you. Yamba. Snapper, fantastic fish to target offshore. And you can also head up. There's a few uh, local charters there. You've got real-time charters, which you've got yamba fishing charters too, and plenty of other fish which you can catch, for, such as mangrove jack, blue groper, in the inshore, off, inshore, um, so inshore, offshore. So along the uh, along the open beaches, you'll catch beautiful sand whiting also. So there is plenty of fish to be catching right along the coast of Yamba. I deliberately did that. So, <laughs> throwing you up, Patrick. That was our dream boating destination, and this is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more BF Goodrich passenger or SUV tyres. Make sure you get in before September the 30th. We'll see you after the break. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to the show. It is now time for the Real Adventures Rewind. All aboard for Dometic. Spend more time enjoying your adventure and less time worried about your drinks with the Dometic CFX 3. And today's All Aboard is a Real Adventures Rewind when Geelong chef Ado Millman talks all things seafood. Take a listen. The chef at the Geelong Footy Club. You've been Ado. excited for Ado, haven't you? Oh, very excited for Ado. Ado Millman. Good morning, Ado. Morning, Paddy. How are you, mate? Going well. Now, Ado, this morning we want to bust a few myths around preparation when it comes to cooking fish and some of the fears I think people have when preparing fish. But before we get into that, a little bit of background on yourself. You grew up in the Colac region, have fished a lot down there. Um, so it's not just something you, you don't just spend time preparing fish. You love fishing itself, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people don't know that I was 
you know, just outside of my apprenticeship, I was uh, fortunate enough to work for Jean-Jacques, who then was in the mid-80s, perhaps the best seafood chef in Australia. So through his techniques and preparation and just awareness of the species of fish and that, I was lucky to have learnt from him. So the simplicity of that is sort of applies to me today. So, yeah, I'm quite lucky to have had him on my life, yeah. Now, a big fish that's topical at the moment, but one that is really difficult for a lot of people to understand the preparation that goes into preparing it is tuna. We're seeing great catches at the moment, Redmond, right through yeah, southern, Portland, yep. southern Australia. Um, how do you prepare tuna? Um, people talk about you know icing it and cooling it as quickly as you possibly can, but when it comes to preparation, what are the keys that you look for? For sashimi and for a cooked meal too, because yeah. uh, I'm not a big sashimi eater, so if you could cover both, Ado, that'd be absolutely unreal. Okay, for one, for one, we'll start. It's caught, it's in the boat, it's, it's bled, it's gutted, it's iced, right? Pretty much. Yep. Now, I think what a lot of people do wrong is that in terms of the larger of the animal, let's say a body of beef or a body of lamb, they will hang that for a week for it to set. Now, small fish is sort of okay, you know, to fill it sort of that day, but a tuna itself should really theoretically be, you know, at that three degrees in the refrigerator after that for a few days for it to set. So when it's filleted, it's it's feathering off the bone really easy. The actual meat itself is firmer. So if, uh, what I see is a lot of people filleting on the table when the fish is warm. It curls, it's sort of um, a bit jellyfied and that. So there, there, there is nothing sort of wrong with that, but to do it and let it rest is, is far better. So... To me, that's that's um, you've got a really good fillet of tuna. Then, then you can the sashimi side of that. A good aged soy, cutting it quite thin. I was in Japan a few years ago, and they cut their tuna a little bit thicker. They have a nice soy and with a little bit of wasabi. Um, I won't get into that, but it's very hard to find true wasabi. In Australia. Ado, a lot of people would think if you're going to sashimi fish, you've got to just do it straight away and cut it straight off the fish as fresh as you possibly can. So that's not the case. You actually want to let it set almost for a few days and then yeah, definitely. cut it up. Yeah, the shelf lot, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's letting that set and then just... Uh, but there's nothing wrong. You, you can eat. There's, there's nothing wrong but to have that, that, that quality of that. So the good chefs in Japan actually let that fillet rest you know, it will, it will actually, that fish will, let's say it's caught in Okinawa, it will go to the Tokyo markets. And before it actually hits the table of that uh, filleting from that chef, that's, that's three days old already. So um, that fish is nice and set, and then of, of which they then um, uh, get their good sashimi fish, like, like in our waters we'd be having... Uh, yellowtail kingfish now, that's beautiful. Like even blue-white traveller, they're, they're good sashimi fish and we're, we can readily get those. So, so the notion yeah, around... Even, even our salmon. So the yeah. notion around fresh fish, that's not a totally accurate saying then. No, no, it can be... We can eat too fresh. So in terms of restraint, we should actually be like... I remember, as uh, Jean-Jacques, like the whiting would come in, um, you know, from a fisherman in the back, back door. We would scale that, but we would just leave that in the fridge for a day 
and then we would like rigor mortis would set in and then we would then fillet that and you know you get a, a really good fillet so as you know if you catch a whiting straight from that uh, into the boat and fillet it's going to curl a little bit so it's um it's just just that preparation of of, of, uh, of filleting i suppose but there is nothing wrong with fishermen doing that or anyone but you know i think that that the best fillet you can actually get is that of a rested fish, yeah. What about uh, when we're going to cook a bluefin tuna or a yellow, uh, yellowtail kingfish, something along those lines? A lot of people like it pink in the middle, like I like my steak. Now, how do you monitor the temperatures to keeping the even balance through that bit of flesh? Well, the, the thickness of the steak should be like the width of, uh, say, a matchbox, right? Of which your fry pan is medium to high, uh, olive oil in that, dust your fish with some just some plain flour, and then just throw that in, get a nice golden brown, of which, and, and with like a steak, you let that rest, and you'll be finished with a beautiful medium fish. So it's 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 got all the juices and everything locked in, and, and the reason why um, it's cooked like that, it's because when it becomes dry, it's not as as um, uh, satisfying as that as of a, a, a medium medium rare sort of um, tuna steak yeah yeah know hey, some of the most popular fish in Australia whiting snapper Australian salmon which are easier to catch just preparation tips around those fish let's start with Australian salmon which a lot of people don't actually love eating I'm a fan of it Aaron you're not, no, I'm not no. but secrets to maximising the flavour of, of that specific fish well well, that, that's a fish that should be eaten quite quick because it's quite a uh, it's an oily fish and like that of uh, sardines and things like that so I like it caught bled and then either that day or that next day um, cut it into chunks leave it on the bone, just cut it into big chunks, flour it uh, grill it and um, whack it with some onions, tomatoes salt, pepper, olive oil in, in the oven, cover that and it falls off the bone and it's the most and then just hit that with a squeeze of lemon, it's the most beautiful fish to eat and then it does sort of it becomes a bit, uh, uh, what's the word? A, a couple of days later, it becomes a bit strong in its flavour, so it's best to be eaten quite fresh. Quickly, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And yeah, but but in terms of whiting and snapper and that, we, we haven't we, and and blue-eyed traveller. There are there are, there's an element that a lot of people don't think of that in making a fish stock. They're the best bones to have, so yep. from those white fish. So they're, they're, that's a really good byproduct of your filleting too, which we, yeah, it's to make good risottos and fish stocks and soups and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Ada, just, Ada, I've got a quick one for you. Now, I'm a qualified chef too, Pat, in my kitchen. <laughs> in my kitchen. So, uh, something, that I, something that I really enjoy cooking is a, um, is a nice bit of gummy sharks, a nice bit of flake. Yep. Can you please take me through the secrets of getting a nice crispy batter? People really struggle bringing out the crispiness in a batter like they have in a fish and chip shop. Can you please go through the temperatures, like setting your flour to the, to the uh, putting it in the freezer before you actually put the fish in it towards, send it to the fry pan? Like, how do you actually get the crispiness? You want to know all the secrets. Come on, mate. <laughs> well, well, there's no, and I'm going to share this, and this is mine, and it's foolproof, and it 
it's that simple. It's it's unmuck up. You can't muck it up. I, I was going to use unmuck up. But it's not such a word. How much anyway, paper? Well, how much paper do I need? This is eight. I'm writing it down. <laughs> no, it's only two things. Doing right, two. It's water. It's water and self-raising flour, of which you add a little bit of just let's say three cups of water to a bowl, cold water. You add a little bit of self-raising flour, whisking that till you get an oily consistency, like um, yeah, to that of a uh, so it coats your finger. Right, of which you've got your pan on, you've got some good oil in there, whether it's rice bran oil or sunflower oil, and then you flour your fillet of gummy shark, which is uh, a thickness, say half the thickness of your finger. Flour that, dip that in your batter, wipe that, the excess off, lay that into your pan, and that will crisp up and give you a really crisp, thin batter. And it, it doesn't actually hold oil either. So you've got a really clean, crispy, golden brown bit of uh, fish. Ado, really appreciate you coming on Real Adventures this morning and for all the work you do supporting the Geelong Footy Club. Thanks again, mate. Nah, thanks, Paddy. No worries. And I'll, I'll see you for lunch. I'll cook your lunch, what, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, isn't it? So, yeah. Looking for, looking forward to that too, and, I'll, and get, I'll get an invite to that one. No too. worries. No, 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 you won't. I never miss those days. <laughs> Thanks, Ado. <laughs> Thanks for the chat, fellas. See you, Thanks, fellas. Mate. That was the Real Adventures Rewind for Dometic Mobile Living made easy, and now it's time for Red's review for Auto One. Get Dad something he'll love this Father's Day at Auto One, and it's a special Red's review today, Patrick. It is, but how great is the great man Ado Millman? One of the great people in footy, been around the Geelong Footy Club for a very long period. Can of I can I just stop long. you there? The only reason you like him is because he gives you food, and you love oh, your food. Every, every time Ado comes in and brings in food, we spend most of the next half an hour talking about fishing. Loves heading down. He's got a beautiful property um, down in the Otways, but loves heading offshore down there. He's got a few mates down there that he fishes with. Um, yeah, one of the all-time greats. Now, we are into Red's review. It is a special Red's review this week, Redmond, because we've had this in the pipeline for a couple of weeks now. Um, you're getting yourself organised on a new boat, and it's time to announce it. We are going to announce the new boat, and I've been wanting to do this, like you said, it's a bit more than a few weeks, because the boat is only four weeks off, roughly, give or take. You know what boat builders are like, Patrick, at times. Sorry, Rob. But <laughs> I have ventured into a six-metre North Bank, which I couldn't be more excited for. And like I said, the hull arriving to Melbourne Marine Centre, where I'm going to get all my fit-out work done. Like I said, arriving hopefully four to five weeks to get the Mercury on the back, the Garmin gear in it, and whatnot. So... Pat, I'm seriously excited for this. It's actually the first vessel that I've, like, first big vessel that I've purchased myself in my fishing career. I've obviously had loan boats over the past periods of times, but this is uh, the first vessel I've actually purchased myself, Pat. So it's pretty exciting for me to uh, to, to announce. Certainly is. Now, people will ask, why have you gone the six metre instead of something bigger? I can partly answer that. Now, I've got a 750 on the way, and that's what we're going to do the majority of our um, longer haul offshore fishing in. If you're going down to um, Portland for a few days, you'll take the big boat. This is something a bit more manageable for more of those inland estuary systems that we're going to fish. We're going to head to the Glenelg River a little later in the year, COVID um, allowing us to. And yes, you can take big boats in there, 
but just the trailability and the maneuverability of the 6.0 or 600 Cuddy Cab. Um, it is a bit more manageable. Yeah, and you are right. It is. Uh, like I'll be, I'll be honest. If I had, uh, it's going to it cost a lot more money to go into a six fifty hardtop. And I'll be honest with you, I plan to buy that in two years' time. I'm going to be running around in the six meter. But what the six fifty and the seven fifty can do, I can do in the six meter comfortably, and I'm going to feel safe in. It's about for me at the time, it was the budget. So it's a lot of money, Pat, to spend on a on a boat and to get it fully fitted out. And that's with being supported a little bit by a couple of companies. So it is. Like I said, when you are fitting your boat out, we're going to get it done properly to how you like it. And for us, you've got the big boat where we can do the offshore. But with this little six-meter boat, when I say little, it's still six meters, you and I can head in with the Real Adventures show and we can go film in these places that we ain't going to get that 750 in at all. So I'm really excited to be getting this. I'm fitting this out with a 175 Mercury with all the digital throttles, uh, which I think is nearly arrived at the Melbourne Marine Center nice and early. Under the bottom of it, I've got an easy tow trailer, which uh, I didn't have to have electronic brakes due to the weight of it, which is uh, kept the price down as well. Uh, so trailers are pricey, Pat. They're quite expensive to buy, as we know. So, and this is an aluminium trailer itself. Yes, it is. So it's a it's a these quite easy tow to extremely. The, math, the quality of the Easy Toe build is pretty much second to none, and they were great to deal with as well. And the Garmin units, which I'm actually sorting out, of, I need to bloody call them to be honest with you to sort that out. So I'm humming and hiring where I'm at. I will give you more information on what I'm going to kit. I'm going to get messages after messages about this, but I'm going to be kitting out this. Oh, I've, I don't know whether to put. I can fit. A, I think a roughly a 16 inch to, into the screen into the dash pad, but. This is the discussion we've been having over the few weeks is do I go that big one or do I go two smaller ones in the dash or do I mount one? Um, what are your thoughts on mounting one basically in the center of the of the, of the the dash? Uh, so having one 12-inch in front of you and a 12-inch on the dash, what do you think in there? Yeah, I think it makes sense to mount one centrally in the 600 simply because when the skipper's sitting in his seat, you can't see past him. Yep. So that dash and the angle that it sits in, if you do uh, flush mount it, you can't see through the skipper. So this way, and most of the time, obviously, you'll be driving the boat. But if you're at the back of the boat, you can change the, the angle on the screen if you've got a centrally mounted, say, 12 or um, or 16-inch screen. I'll probably go 12. You don't want something that big, yep. sort of um, intrusive looking through the, the cabin. Um, I'd, I'd set it up there. Or what a huge amount of anglers are doing now um, is setting them up um, in the cockpit of their boat. We're seeing a huge amount of, um, of stern-mounted electronics. I'm not sure how that's going to go with the longevity of these screens, given how much spray that they'll be subject to. But we're seeing so many boats now, and Rob um, delivered a, uh, a 750 last week through um, through Melbourne Marine, where there was four Garmin screens, and one was flush-mounted um, at the stern of the boat. So people are spending just huge amounts on their electronics now, which um, yeah, I don't think you need to spend, you know, 60, 70 grand on screens, but plenty of people are. Well, here I am just trying to get one little 12-inch screen, Pat, and he's got four of them pricked. But <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically with the transducers type too, money comes into that as well. So I'll be uh, going a high-wide one kilowatt to start with, and I need to have a chat to Melbourne Marine Centre. And they're fantastic down there. Andrew and the guys are amazing to deal with. We've dealt with them a long time, Pat. So... 
I'm going to have a chat, and I spoke about this on last week's show, and make sure you do head to the Real Adventures app if you want to find out any other shows, because you can listen to any show on there just by going to the app. It's simple as that. And we spoke about uh, through-hull transducers, Pat, and why we'd be getting them, and that's one thing that I want to get. I don't want the transom mount. I believe it's old technology. So if if it's possible, which it's going to be, because I'm going to make sure it's going to be. Andrew, hope you're listening to this. I think he will be too. So we're going to try and talk to Andrew about giving him a bit of work, putting the through hull in, which I think is a must. But over the coming weeks, we're going to update you with my boat and Pat's boat as they continue to get built. That was Red's review for Auto One. If your dad really loves cars, Auto One's the number one place to go this Father's Day. We'll see you shortly. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Patrick, we are well and truly on the home stretch here. Uh, Coming up first, we've got Reg Tip, which is going to be changed into Dangerous Tip. And I'm going to be taking the gaff this week. So what is your tip for the week, Patrick? Well, off the back of our discussion around new boat buys, setting a boat up to, to match the fishing that you do. I reckon a, an appropriate one, Redmond, is a foam-filled hull. I think it's a must. Yes, there's the other bells and whistles um, that are important when purchasing and enjoying a boat. You want a nice screen, comfy seats, you know, stainless steel work that looks great. Now, those things are wonderful, and it's a bit like sort of the jip rock that you put in a house when you're building it and the, the noise-deadening quality that you'll enjoy once you're in there, but you don't necessarily see the benefit when you're spending the extra money at the start. I certainly did this with my Stady 1550. I know you're doing it, and we've both done it with the, the new boats that we've ordered through North Bank. Foam filling a hull is far more than just helping it to be unsinkable. And by unsinkable, I mean it can still end up under the water. It'll just float there a bit longer. <laughs> so you'll at least be able to... You'll be able to dig it out of the water for your insurance. Um, the real benefit I see is the noise deadening qualities that you'll get when you're underway, for one, because no outboard is this for quiet. I don't care what they say; they're all quiet once uh, they're all loud once you're up and running. But when you're at rest, particularly with aluminium boats, you get that clunky noise that we've all experienced, and I've got no doubt that mine has been significantly deadened. Uh, by having the foam filled uh, in my stady craft. Obviously, you have less in a fiberglass boat um, because of the material that you're using. But in an aluminium boat, I think it is a must. And that's Red's tip for today. I think you're spot on. And to tell you the honest truth, that the, we get that question a lot uh, all the time asking basically, how much does, is it worth getting? Does it soften it that much, the noise? And you're 100% spot on Pat you've, uh, you've nailed that one you've done a better Reds tip than what Red does righto it's now time for the flying gaff and I'm taking it this week because Ray and Anne's fishing and boating fun cave that's what they called on Facebook and I was doing my little research on Facebook for a, a gaff for Pat during the week and like we try and help each other out and they posted a photo which had undersized or small pinkies next to a ruler and it says seized on it and I'm uh, thinking, all right, there's a gaff coming somewhere here. Someone's done the wrong thing. It says a man left the scene, blah, blah, blah. Hit the link below for more details. So off I go to the bottom of the link. I hit the link, and it comes up with my Facebook page. So I go back out of it, hit the link again, comes up with my Facebook page. I'm thinking, what the hell's happening here? Like, why isn't this link working? <laughs> Where's this person gone wrong? And it says, 
So it says the person fled the sea. If you've seen this person, like click the link. And so you click the link and it just comes back as you. Well, that was the joke, Pat. It come back on me five or six <laughs> times while I kept clicking the link because the gaff, the gaff is going to them for making me look like an idiot because it was a joke. They were having a bit of fun. So uh, well done to Ray and Anne's Tackle World. <laughs> you have been listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich celebrating 150 years. Patrick, you go do some recovery. I am going to sort out another fishing trip. Enjoy the sunny Gold Coast, and I'll see you next week. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.